What is your experience of using Copilot with other languages that are not Go? So the second best language Copilot works for me is actually English. Readme generation is just great and comments. Yeah, sometimes it writes better comments for my code than I would do. Big thanks to our partners Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. We love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Get $100 in credit at linode.com slash changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. And get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at launchdarkly.com. What's up, Gophers? Have you heard of the DevOps platform that's helping teams and orgs work more efficiently, deliver better software faster, and reduce risk and cost? What if I told you there's a free tier for that platform as well? Yes, I'm talking about GitLab, the DevOps platform that empowers organizations to maximize the overall return on software development by delivering software faster, more efficiently, while strengthening security and compliance. GitLab helps teams identify and address blockers immediately in a single tool, focus on delivering value, not maintaining integrations, and automate security and compliance without compromising speed or spend. You can get started with their free tier with no credit card required, improve yourself and your team that the platform has everything you need. Head to about.gitlab.com slash solutions slash DevOps dash platform or check the show notes for a link to get started. Again, links are in the show notes. Let's do it. It's go time. Welcome to Go Time, your source for diverse discussions from around the Go community. We record live each and every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. Come hang with the Go Time crew and chat along in the Go Time FM channel of Gover Slack. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter. We are at Go Time FM. Okay, here we go. Isn't that symbolic that at the episode about AI, we will have some issues with tech and computers and so on. It's just to remind who really is the boss. So today we promised you two hosts, but it's actually a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And I'm very excited to invite uh, and introduce my guest today, Alexei Palishchenko, who has been a Go user for a long time. And he is one of the organizers of the Russian Go community meetups and GoferCon Russia. And he even started the Go podcast called Golang Show in the past, before Go time. Maybe you can tell us where does that leave these days or why not continue? It's hard for me to say. We basically just, everyone moved on. Several people changed work. Uh, several people changed the way they live and... We become scattered across. They change their programming language. No, most of them not. But few of them moved to management, you know. So. Okay. That technically is changing your programming language, right? You're basically, you start programming in Jira. <laughs> yeah, and email <laughs> up. Yeah. <laughs> so funny thing is that Go Time was originally called Go Show. Ah. But we asked uh, the organizers to change the name. Yeah, because otherwise it would be too close. <laughs> Interesting. I, I actually did not know that. That's fun. Yeah. Well, these days you work for all two weeks as a CTO of FerretDB project, uh, originally announced as MangoDB, as uh, many people in the community loved, including myself. And uh, we're even excited to have you in January talk about MangoDB at the Go user group of Berlin. 
Yeah, but I will be talking about FireDB because if we continue to use this name MongoDB, we will be sued by MongoDB. I'm sorry. They don't like that we use a name too close to the <laughs> trademark. That is fair. That is fair. Um, well, that's a. That, how did you choose FireDB? Well, <laughs> so we had a list of possible names, and we also had like 20 different names of uh, different mangas. But in the, in the end, yeah, we decided to use a ferret. As a fan, we say that it doesn't share a single letter with Mongo. So no chance to see us at all. That should, we should be fine. <laughs> that is an interesting turn of events, I guess. So Alexei, how did you start using Go? Yeah, so the funniest story is that I actually started using Go back in Microsoft. And that was way before Microsoft was cool again. <laughs> So, yeah, m many years ago, I worked in a small startup called Quick, which was doing uh, video calls, and that was before the FaceTime. And then when FaceTime was announced, everyone wanted the FaceTime on the iPhone, but it was exclusive to iPhones, and then all Android developers, carriers in the United States came to us, and they wanted to bring them video calls. And then uh, half a year later, we were bought by Skype, and our small startup, which was like 50 people, started being integrated to the Skype, which was 1,000 people back at the time. And we were like aligning the roadmaps, trying to understand what we built together. And several months later, Skype was bought by Microsoft. <laughs> and the whole process started again. And you completed a circle. <laughs> They started online their roadmaps and they basically forgot about us. This was a strange satellite office somewhere in the <laughs> Moscow, like no one knew what they were doing at all. So at some point we had no work to do. We were still going to office, we were getting paid, but we don't have real good work, some maintained stuff. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> and as a real developer, you had to complain when you had nothing to program. Yeah. But again, that was Microsoft. We don't even know where to complain. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. For example, we did not receive our new computers and, you, and we were using Macs, but you can't access Microsoft resources with Macs, for example. Back then. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we decided to spend this time to sharpen our skills, try something new, you know. So we decided to make a multiplayer game, a multiplayer game of Go, you know, this board game, right? So we made uh, one part of the server in Erlang language. We started working on mobile client in C-sharp. And then I wrote the backend part that manages GNU Go program mm -hmm. in Go. <laughs> yeah, and that was uh, release 60. That was uh, after weekly releases, but before 1.0 release. So it was like, I recently decap this old code is quite different it had semicolons everywhere <laughs> and also it has os error type instead of built-in error type but still with minor changes with replacing errors with removing semicolons it still builds and runs today so when i had a chance i left microsoft basically when why my options uh, vested <laughs> <laughs> yeah started my own company and we started uh, using go there that was go one dot zero already wow and then left that company and basically yes doing go science r16 for fun and in production science 1.0 wow so a long time ago okay wow that is a funny turn of events 
So did you choose to write the Beckett and Go because it was the Go game or because you actually like read about it somewhere? It was completely random. I mean, I read about Go when Beckett was announced. Mm-hmm. Back then I just switched from C++ to Ruby, Ruby language, made a jump. <laughs> that is a jump for sure. <laughs> yeah, and then Go was completely random, but I actually liked it a lot. So I was programming in C++ and Ruby and Python and in Python, I was writing mostly with uh, twisted framework with all these callbacks. And yeah, I immediately liked the Go routines and also the fact that the language is compiled, but it compiles very quickly as a static binary, all the usual stuff. And yeah, never looked back since then. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So we're here to talk about AI-driven development. So when we say that, AI-driven development, what do you envision? Like... What would development with AI be looking like in the future? Yeah, that would be something futuristic, you know, this uh, dream of you having isolated components and you just draw arrows between them and AI builds everything for you. You just have to, you can just draw diagrams on the whiteboard and everything will magically appear. I don't think we ever reach that goal, to be honest. (laughs) Actually, I would say that for me, the best solution would be something what GitHub Copilot already provides, maybe with a different interface. But the whole idea is that you have uh, another someone or something, in that case, uh, looking over your code, suggesting you, giving you tips, like it's basically like advanced ED, but with some smarts about it. And yeah, I would say that the representation could be a bit different, but the whole idea is, I think that's the future. When you were saying that drawing on the walls with the diagrams and then it uh, completes for you, I was thinking of how when you type to some translator tool like DeepL, that it automatically translates like on the go. So just imagine like you're writing some arrows and it already like writes the code and changes on the go. That would be very not efficient. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but also that would be very fun. <laughs> Change all the code. It will be like in a matrix. It, this is why the code is just running very fast on the screen. Because it keeps changing. Well, maybe that's why they uh, made a new movie. (laughs) (laughs) Now it makes sense. All the dots are connecting. Yeah, so you say that you envision kind of AI-driven development as something that is like an augmentation to the IDE pretty much? Yeah, I would say that's a good way to describe it. So the IDE handles things like your code, but it also handles your configurations, right? And AI is like good in generating code, and it seems like it makes a lot of sense when it does that. But in configuration files, whenever it does that, it's usually like it generates a correct SSH key format-wise, but obviously it doesn't generate the correct SSH key for you or even like a valid one. Will it be augmenting things like not code, but still IDE? Yeah, so listeners may think that Natalie is joking, but that's actually the truth that <laughs> Copilot can do that. It can generate the SSH key for you. Unfortunately, most likely it will be already used by someone else. <laughs> but maybe that would be a feature for you. <laughs> Easy way to hack into somebody else's code. Yeah, you just don't know who you're going to hack, but you're going to hack anyway. <laughs> yeah, my, my, you know, maybe that uh, Copilot discovers this log4j security vulnerability just by basically trying anything that sticks and now we have it just throwing code at the eye yeah 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 so yeah it works great for go but also it works great for many other places for example for readme i mean sometimes copilot writes better readme than i do (laughs) even with augmentation of something like grammarly for example 
yeah, I guess it is a based on a natural language engine, right? So that's an interesting point that you pointed out. I actually didn't try to write any readme with it, but that makes a lot of sense. And just recently I was writing a Docker Compose file. It also made a lot of sense. Yeah. So essentially it can write the whole project for you. There's a very fun video on YouTube where the guy writes a game in six minutes using Copilot. <laughs> That's a basically a game where you pick random number and whoever chooses a number closer to the random number wins. And it just works. He types much less than he just presses tab to complete the sentence and the code. So it's just crazy. And yeah, I envision that in the future you can also like uh, write readme for your code, write uh, Docker Compose, Kubernetes manifests, all that. Actually, I should try that with Kubernetes Manifest. That would be fun to try. It does work well from my experience. So what would you say the current state of AI-driven development these days? Do you know of people who are already using it uh, at their job or for fun? I guess for fun, we know some, but for personal projects that are more than tap, tap, tap. Yeah, so I actually use it for work now, and uh, it's kind of scary sometimes. So... Again, on the project I'm working right now, we have this uh, problem of MongoDB being quite aggressive with their license. So we should be very careful not to touch the SSPL license code. Right? And when I write some handler for update command, I just write a comment, write header, and then it completes the code that looks like something very similar to what I want to write. Mm. But I also don't have just tokens like that in my code yet. For example, in MongoDB, if you want to set some field, you set this $set field attribute. Mm. And I never had this uh, field in my code yet. So it looks like it copied this code from some other code. And I'm pretty sure that other code would be a SSPL licensed. So that's a major concern for me, I would say. Interesting. At the same time, in that particular case, I actually went and tried to search this code. And I did not find it. So maybe it's like actual synthesizes this code, knowing that I'm working with MongoDB and pulling some other code, maybe from some other languages. I don't know. So that kind of thing is kind of scares me. If you're working in open source and you have to be very, very careful about licensing, that could be a problem for you. But in most other cases, that's just just a miracle. Yeah, that is an interesting point that you're bringing up. I never thought of it until now that when you use AI to help you write code, you actually have to add like one more test to everything that, that the, you are allowed to use the code that it generated, right? That it like, as you said, doesn't, like when you search that this does, code does not exist somewhere. And that is uh, actually something that we might all be adding to our future checklist as developers. Yeah, so actually after that happened, I did some research, whatever other people think. So yeah, a lot of people think that uh, GitHub Copilot is basically a code laundering machine <laughs> because they publicly said that they teach the code on all the public code, mm -hmm. not uh, caring about the license. So I can assume that all public code includes some code you can't, for example, GPL code, right? If you use a permissive license, you don't want to touch GPL code, but you don't know. And the same thing, it would be hard to say that, okay, this code is copied verbatim because it basically almost nothing is copied verbatim. And then that would be for judge to decide whatever it was copied or not. And there are no precedents yet. We don't even know from the philosophical standpoint whatever it should be considered a copy or not, but not from legal perspective. So I would say that by the time we have some precedents and we actually know whatever it is legal or not, 
our judges would be AI too. So that would be an AI judging an AI. Maybe they will be the robots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the interesting um, arguments in the conversation about AI writing code is that it's uh, trained on open source code and not all open source code, especially the one that is, uh, I mean, maybe it's even safe to say that most of the open source code is fun projects of people. It's not actually functioning things that are used in production somewhere because a lot of the production code is closed source. So it was not trained for, for GitHub, but that was actually peer reviewed. And a lot of the open source code, they just put something, learn to code, put it out there. Now Copilot got trained on my bad code in the first time that I was like learning Elixir or something. Mm -hmm. And now it saw that and thought that this is an example of how you need to write Elixir code. So kind of how good is this auto-generated code? And it, on the level of like, did it learn from a good example or from a bad example, right? Because GitHub code is not labeled with good repo, bad repo. And also, even if the language is written correctly, does it have good safety practices? Right? Like, is the code that is out there secure or not? So you have to look out for so many things when you are choosing whether to accept a code into your, or like AI proposed code into your code base or not. Yeah, but at the same time, how you know if uh, the code you want to look on GitHub as, as you, as a human, whatever, it's good or not. So let's say you want, you're a new Go developer and you join community and you want to say, okay, how you organize my Go code? You Google it and found this infamous repo Go standard layout. Mm -hmm. Is it good? Is it not? I guess if it has some people thumbing it up or like even commenting, if it's active enough, it means enough people don't think it's bad. Yeah, maybe. But maybe all those people's uh, AIs too. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just, just found it and uh, started and then more people are coming and more started. But the very first people did not knew it's, that it's maybe not good. <laughs> just kept it for later. Yeah, so I would say it's always for the human to decide. Yeah, and uh, I wonder how that would affect the coding styles of new languages, for example. It may be very different from what language uh, designers expected it to be. Yeah, this brings me to the question if uh, Go would be a good choice for AI-driven development with the style of the language. What do you think? Yes, all this power of Go FMT, then we have the same standard for all the Go code. That seems to be very easy for Copilot to understand Go code. And they would say, yeah, the, code, the Go may be the, the single best language for that. I don't know other language that has this simple code structure, this regular structure, this is the same formatting. I can't imagine Copilot for something like C++, for example, <laughs> especially modern C++. <laughs> that would be a hot mess. Because, yeah, especially given that Copilot just grabs all the C++ code from GitHub, and then half of that is written like 20 years ago with very different standard. That's basically a different language at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's actually another interesting point that uh, is AI code trained on up-to-date code like that is made for our machines and not for the past machines. Yeah, can you imagine Go with generics generated by Copilot? Maybe we will have to. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually we'll have to imagine how that works, yeah. Hey there, it's Jared again. Have you heard about Changelog++? It's our membership program you can join to directly support our work on GoTime. As a thanks for your support, we hook you up with an ad-free feed, 
discounts on merch, plus some bonuses like extended episodes. Sign up today at changelog.com slash plus plus. been trying to do the advent of code on different programming languages with using Codex, which is the underlying engine of Copilot. So basically, Copilot is kind of you take whatever you have in your IDE, and then you add the prompt to that, so kind of like the secret sauce, and then you send that to the endpoint of Codex. And what I was trying to do and gave up in the middle because it didn't work at all is trying to do the same with the different languages and just finding the right context for some of the languages that are not supported as well like java for example like finding a standardized header was a big deal so in go if you want like all go programs will start with package main import not many languages have this standard thing for Java or for C. For C, for example, you'll probably start with an import, but maybe not. Not all languages have such a signature, if you will, <laughs> to also help the AI generate like, or even understand what language you wanted to use. And I guess that's another big benefit of Go in addition to having this uh, standard formatting that it always has the same beginning. And so I... I agree with you that I also find Go to be a good choice for this reason. So last week was GopherCon, and that was uh, there were some conversations around that. And uh, one of the points that I made in a talk about that was that, that Go will not land you in the uncanny valley of code, that graph that makes you feel awkward about robots and the one that can make you feel awkward about code. Because <laughs> if it looks like it's computer generated, it's like a weird robot. But if it looks like Go code that everybody else wrote, probably going to feel comfortable with it, so. Well, I would say that generated Go code sometimes looks like a kind of, so it kind of makes sense, but also kind of doesn't, and looks really weird, and you look at it carefully, and then decide that it doesn't even compile, it doesn't work. But it looks like almost like it, it almost does what you need it to do. So this uh, video has a great example when uh, the guy was making a game where you should guess the number, and the one who chooses the closest number wins. But the co-pilot always steered him to the game of you have to choose the correct number exactly. So it basically tried to redefine the rules of the game. <laughs> that was quite strange to see. Interesting. So was he doing that instructions via comments or like the documentation of the functions or? Yeah, yeah. Basically, I wrote the first line of comments, comment, and then co-pilot suggested even comments for that and then code. Yeah. And what is your experience of using a Copilot with other languages that are not Go? So the second best language Copilot works for me is actually English. As I mentioned, that readme generation is just great and comments. Yeah, sometimes it writes better comments for my code than I would do. And you know, they have this uh, new feature in beta when they allow you to describe the code as English. For example, you have a snippet of code. And yeah, most importantly, it, uh, it works with re regular expressions. <laughs> so yeah, it translates regular expression to plain English. That's just great for people who don't know regular expression. Basically, for everyone who like, you look on this tent and characters thinking, what? And yeah, and then after that, it just explains it to plain English. That's great. 
would you say it works great in both ways? Regex to English and English to Regex? Yeah, I did not try that. It would be interesting. Actually, yeah, that, the problem there, it's like, it's not an algorithm, you know, it's just a machine learning and maybe it's not even correct. <laughs> that would be also interesting to check if that's correct. Yeah, I tried that with Python. It, yeah, it, I mean, still works, but in my opinion, the Go snippets are better overall in quality. I tried uh, writing some bash scripts with it, and that was also successfully doing what it uh, what it was supposed to do. So uh, I guess bash is a uh, similar to Go in that sense that it's a kind of one way of doing things. Yeah, maybe just uh, my way of writing Python is outdated. The last version I was, I still was using Python 2 when I switched to Go. <laughs> so maybe Python 3 is very different language right now. <laughs> I imagine Python has multiple ways of doing things, so you cannot just settle on one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what languages did you get to try that were not really a good choice? Actually, I don't think I tried a lot of languages. I, like at my current job, I use YAML. YAML works great, English, English works great. But also various configuration file, JSON works great. Everything was pretty much great for me. <laughs> well, I imagine something like very esoteric, I don't know, like Melbourne programming language would not work very well. <laughs> Latech. Latech might be interesting to see how that goes. <laughs> English to Latech. Imagine you can write a PhD with Copilot. <laughs> Here is my thesis in one line. Please, please write my expanded thesis <laughs> with the correct formatting. This will be a hit. So AI can be used to augment your life as a developer in helping you write code and helping you write readmes. But I can think of all other types of help that it can do. So for example, creating the documentation for your code, right? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of the other way around from Copilot. So I, I saw in some for example, Repolit, which is in a kind of an online IDE. And there you can highlight a function and then say, what does it do? And then it will similarly, I guess, to README, it will be sort of your English used in programming languages uh, helper. Could you imagine some more other interesting places where AI can be augmenting our developer lives? Well, I can imagine it doing pull request reviews. So we already have quite some help with linters and CI and all that. Mm. But imagine angry AI making, they say that you should uh, dry this code or you should use single responsibility principle or something like that. Would be like, and then there would be a slider like angry team leader or like pleasant team leader <laughs> with different settings. <laughs> or like a linter for the answers. A linter before you basically submit your review that kind of helps you choose the... Find, this word is nicer than that word or more encouraging. Actually, one thing I would want from Copilot is to generate the proper Golang in configuration file for me because it has so many configuration options. Yeah, it can be sort of like a smart configuration values, right? Not kind of like, this is my use case. Give me what's a good default to have. Yeah, or just this is my code. Make the configuration that passes my code <laughs> without disabling everything. <laughs> I hope somebody is listening and writing down and making a startup of each of those ideas because it's all useful tools. Yeah, yeah. I have one more to add to our list. Something that you give it a piece of code and then say, find the security vulnerabilities. Something to point out to you, kind of like, this is what you should be doing better. Yeah, yeah. Would you say that one of the interesting things about FerritDB is that it's actually 
AI generated, augmented, the first AI augmented database. Yeah, you can say so. So actually when I started, I was just alone myself and co-pilot. So you can say he's my co-author now. Right now we have like a lot of people from community just jumped in and started to help. But the core of it was written by me and co-pilot. That would be an interesting take, you know, as uh, promote the project. The first database system written by machine learning. By machines, for machines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess it can be also interesting if it helps you to choose names for your project, you know, like names for variables. This is a great tool to have, something that will help you choose variable names. Yeah, that would be very helpful. And yeah, names for projects are very hard, actually. Yeah, we spend a lot of time thinking about it. And this can also be aware of all the licenses out there. Yeah, you you know, you can license a particular strings and then you can't use the strings in your code. Or an AI that helps you choose a license for your project. Oh, I see. Yeah, <laughs> that would be interesting too. The list is really long at this point. I, I forget, start to forget. I'm going to listen to those afterwards and write them down one by one. The next step would be it would just write a special license for your code, only for your code. Custom tailored for you. Mind blown. <laughs> it's like we don't have enough licenses already. <laughs> I guess you can always make it more specific. So what would be your recommendations for Go developers who are not yet using Copilot or kind of just played around with it a little bit? But uh, So how can you use that as a tool to make your developer life better? Like what can you already do? Yeah, so I would say the hardest problem for you could be just get access to it because as far as I know, it's still not public for everyone. If you have it and if you found a way to have it, maybe you know, maybe people can contact you and then you ask them nicely <laughs> to give them access. But uh, I would say just try it out if you have access to it and start uh, writing code with maybe a bit more comments than you previously used, if, especially if you never like write comments in your public code or private code. And then after that, that just works miracles. Of course, you should uh, try to verify the code and fraud, not just blindly accept it. Other than that, I would say, go ahead. So starting by better documentation. Yeah. I mean, maybe you can just start a new project completely empty, open a readme file and start typing and then write a sentence and just start to complete. Yeah. Yeah. It can be also interesting to use for maybe refactoring. For refactoring, that would be actually a very interesting use case. Because right now, all refactoring I know in various editors and EDs, it's just completely algorithmic, right? It's very deterministic. Mm -hmm. Like a simple methods like rename or extract method, something like that. But if using AI, yeah, that would be a very powerful tool. Can imagine also improving your testing like all the tests that you have for your code can also be quick, easy win. Yeah, for that, I would still prefer Fuzzing, you know. But as for generating initial seed data for Fuzzing, yeah, that would be great. Actually, I think I did wrote some tests using Copilot this way. Well, I'm curious now if there's already some existing library that somebody created that uh, here is a great data set or, I don't know, practices, like all the things you can ever test, all the inputs that are worth being tested or something like this uh, generated by Copilot. And then this will become kind of one of the new things that you always involve in your testing flow. Yeah, so actually there is a repository, something about like repository of bad strings, <laughs> which contains all those weird edge cases like 
Unicode, zero with uh, strings, nulls and strings and all that. Yeah, and if you feed into Pfizer and into Copilot, you, you can get this everywhere. I will find it out for channels. It would be interesting to tell fuzz it for me or something like this. Find like fuzzy inputs. That might be not the most effective way to use a machine learning framework. But... Probably saw some interesting examples, but yeah, maybe maybe not. <laughs> Trying to think what other interesting recommendations we can give to listeners who are just getting, or you know what, let's say, let's take one step back and let's speak to those who are um, maybe a little bit cynical about uh, including AI in their flow and look at that as a, an NFT or whatnot, some trend from, from a new buzzword. So why is actually, is it a good idea to include AI in your flow? Like, why should I not just stick to my good old Vim or IDE with no, like VS Code with no any other add-ons? So I would say simple as is just really helps. So there are some issues with representation, as I said before, for example, for me, Sometimes these uh, suggestions are not uh, formatted very nicely. Sometimes they jump. Like when I start typing and want to take a different direction, it suddenly appears. And then I have to hit escape to cancel it. So I would say representation could be better, but when it works, when it works nicely, it's like speed, you are much faster, significantly faster. And that helps. You can be more productive. And like not productive in a way, you know, it's a joke. You are very productive, you type a lot and then delete a lot <laughs> and you're just typing very fast, but in a good way. Well, to play a little bit the devil's advocate, we, we started the show with uh, listing all the different things that you might need to be reviewing if you are getting the help of a, an AI to be your co-programmer if you're doing a pair programming with it. So is it actually more efficient? I would say yes. So one problem with that we did not mention yet, for me at least, is that you, with Copilot, you have to switch more often between reading and writing. So sometimes you like read the code, you, you understand where you should place a new code, how that works, how you refactor it, and then you start writing. And then you pause, look what, you, what happened, refactor it. And with Copilot, with its suggestions, it, like you have to configure the timing very well. Otherwise, you can be interrupted in your flow. But once you're just used to it or you configured it, then it works much better. And then I would say that I did some measurements, not scientific and totally for me, of course, mm -hmm. but I found it helpful. Yeah. So like simple code, repetitive code is generated basically by GitHub Copilot automatically. Would you say that Copilot is a good tool to use if you are diving into a completely new code base? So you're kind of like even trying to understand what goes where? Speaking of reading versus writing. I don't know. Right now, I don't think that Copilot provides much help there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it works for small pieces, right? For like explain this function. I don't think it works for like explain this project. Or it explains this uh, model. Library. This package. Yeah, I don't think that's for... Who knows, maybe that will work in just a few weeks, months, maybe a year. Yeah. yeah. I think one uh, Go-specific uh, way where Copilot would help is like as a generic replacement. 
you don't have to write all this code yourself. You don't have to use genetics. You can just ask Copilot to generate all the various functions for different <laughs> type, and it works great. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we used this code generators. Everyone wrote them back in the day, and yeah, then reflection mm-hmm. interfaces. Yeah, just use Copilot. That would be fine. So, what would your ideal Copilot library? Go library would look like? Like what would be a super useful function or functions? I don't know. You can imagine that uh, this, uh, like replacing these reflections and so on would be. So we were speaking about like the code, the machine learning model explaining this code. I would like something like explain this usage of concurrency there. In the sense of uh, what, what are potential outputs or like what are you missing when you're looking at it or what exactly? So on many layers, for example, it's like this function that accepts these channels can accept that and that and that channel is closed at this point and then the big picture and then the ultimate question like it should answer was it worth it or not or <laughs> you should just write a linear code there without all the gurdens and channels and be more simple. <laughs> So basically sort of uh, take one time. Yeah, actually the last uh, question would be the simplest one, I guess. Uh, just a constant answer, no, <laughs> write simple code. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's part of the value proposition of Go, right? That it's simple. Last week we had, uh, a, as part of GopherCon, a game on Go time where we had to guess what gophers answered. So there was a survey to some hundreds of participants of the conference and one of the questions was, what is the word that you would use to describe Go? And then we had to guess what people answered. So the number one answer was simple. So that might be a little bit funny with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the reason why I chose Go in the first place. And it would be the, my answer too. <laughs> Go is used a lot or more and more, not just for like regular code, like web code, but also for infrastructure, right? Like different tools that are written in Go. So how can we improve that with AI? Let's see what we can do better. So let's imagine that we have an AI that actually can write a domain-specific language for our infrastructure, right? So for all these benefits of Go, Go is quite verbose language and this error handling can, I mean, writing business log- logic in Go is not a easiest, like the nicest way to use a language. It's great for infrastructure. It's great for some places where you manage bytes and so on. But if you want to write high level business logic in Go, that's not very easy. Mm-hmm. At the same time, uh, existing solutions for integrating different other languages are also not great. So imagine that uh, Copilot analyzes your business problem, your domain, and then creates a tailored specific domain specific language for your problem implemented in Go with virtual machine and just-in-time compilation. <laughs> Interesting. How would you name the startup that does that? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like such a useful pitch. Yeah, for that, we need to create another machine learning model to <laughs> come up with a name. <laughs> and those are... Those are some interesting things. It would be interesting to listen to the show in like five years and see which of those already spun up to be a tool or a product. We're an open source project. Maybe somebody will go to Copilot and like will write something, get, create for me a project that does this, and then it will be what we need. Yeah, and then you click a button, create a repository, it's already contains all the code you need. And the license. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always important to have the right license. Yeah, so we will be out of job, completely out of job. 
We don't even have to pick up the license. <laughs> Computers will be arguing with each other. <laughs> yeah, it, it brings us back to this AI judges, right? That, mm -hmm. that seems to be like the logical next step of the computer industry. And then we all will be in Matrix. <laughs> well, that is a, some interesting expected uh, future for the development of our life as developers. Mm -hmm. Not to ask in our lifetime, but let's say in our professional career, which is hopefully for most people shorter than our lifetime. <laughs> what things do you see that will be like becoming a very common thing in a very short term? Something that you would write like in your CV when you're looking for your next job, so a couple of years from now. What it would be an AI skill that is related to development? I think, yeah, for machine learning, you have to have some experience already. And if you don't have it by now, then in a few years, that will be that might be a problem to find a good job. And I guess, yeah, things like Copilot would be much more common in more editor of more languages with different representations. Would you be writing that on your CV? I'm asking because I saw CVs of people who write that they do Git as a skill, but I never, I cannot remember, let's say, seeing a CV that mentions their favorite IDE. So like, I am good with Vim, I am good with VS Code. But would you say that Copilot is more in the category of your IDE or more in the category of skills like Git? So actually, I saw quite a lot of CVs that mention their preferred editors and the, like, I have skills in IDEA, for example. Okay, interesting. Yeah, people do write that. Maybe that's a bit a Russian thing that people just write down all the keywords they know in English and everything else is in Russian. <laughs> or you're coming very opinionated. If you're not working with them, I don't want to work here. Yeah, that, that also <laughs> happens. Yeah, I, I saw that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with Copilot, you don't have to have some special skills to use it, right? It doesn't have much configurations options. It's not like you have a ton of knobs to tweak and you are an expert of tweaking the machine learning model for your use case. You don't even have access to it. I don't think that the Copilot would be in a lot of CVs, but then again, we have editors in CVs, so someone will definitely mention compiled. We can take a look right now on LinkedIn. I pretty sure someone already mentioned. <laughs> Copilot, yeah. Except Copilot developers, of course. <laughs> yeah. What I can imagine is that sometimes when using the different OpenAI engines, like GPT-3, Codex, whatever, you have to write the prompt or you can write the prompt in different ways and one way would yield you a better result than another, right? That's kind of the concept of prompt engineering. So I can imagine that this is a little bit similar <laughs> in that sense in Copilot, in the sense that if you write your comment in one way, it will create one function. And if you write your comment a little bit better, it will create another function. And back to this advent of code with Codex, I noticed that sometimes some of the days when I just copy pasted the entire instruction of what is the advent code of today that you need to solve, for some languages, it solved it perfectly from the first attempt. For some other languages, other days were just not working. So you can even change your comment or change your instruction to the computer. So kind of you can argue that prompt engineering can be even used in Copilot. Yeah, that's definitely a useful skill to mention in your CV. <laughs> You know how to formulate things for the Copilot, yeah. You are fast at tweaking words for Copilot. I wonder if this is a similar category to like, I'm really good in documenting my code. 
Would you write that in your CV? <laughs> I'm also very quick at uh, quitting Vim. <laughs> <laughs> can do that in ten, only 7.5 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that all falls under communication skills, but then maybe this is kind of be expanding my communication skills with my human teammates and with my AI augmentation tools. Yeah, that would be interesting if the skills should be significantly different and diverse. Like you speak with uh, humans with one language and with AI with different language. There is a point to that because right, like the model was trained on on English or on like natural language, and it was mm -hmm. trained on code, but it was trained only on subset, and it's always like it will never be the same subset of the average person, and it's not like the average person of one country has another world of context and vocabulary and whatnot of another person in another language. So maybe even skills of English is actually becoming a more of a need for a developer to have, right? So you can like better communicate with the AI. Yeah, and also imagine that you have to command AI to write a code for you for it to work. But you don't want to command your coworkers, right? So it <laughs> would be different languages already on that level. For sure. Interesting. Okay. So if we summarize kind of the tip around communication skills and uh, how to present that next time you speak about your co-pilot skills in a professional setup, like a job interview, what would be your takeaway? Yeah, so you could say that's like, you have soft skills and hard skills and soft skills is <laughs> how you talk with people and hard skills is how you talk with AI. <laughs> you, you can say that soft hard skills or hard soft skills. <laughs> Yeah, uh, firmware skills, right? Firm skills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, separate section. LinkedIn will introduce it next year. <laughs> yeah, more AI engines will be doing code, so only makes sense. Well, that was inspiring and interesting conversation. Time for some unpopular opinion. I hope you have one. The nice thing about this tune is that uh, even on episodes where Matt is not here with us, he is a little bit with us because he is uh, the creator of this short tune. So, hi, Matt. Hope you're feeling better. Well, yeah, Matt can be imitated <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, so my unpopular opinion would be about genetics in Go. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, so... Quite a lot of people consider genetics to be great in Go and that works great for them. And even more people consider that genetics were a bit rushed and were like afraid of them, I would say. So for me personally, genetics went, I would say, sideways. So there are a lot of things in Go that could be potentially solved with genetics, but couldn't be right now mm -hmm. because of different directions they went. So to give you an example, let's say I have an uh, something like a JSON object, and I would traverse it by using paths and indexes, right? Field names as strings and indexes as integers. And currently, I can't write generic functions that accepts a combination of them. It can either accept a paths, a list of paths, or a list of indexes. But I can't write a function that accepts both strings and integers. So I either have to use a reflection for that, or empty interface, or code generation, but not genetics. So my opinion would be like, genetics went in direction I did not want them to go. 
So they did not change a lot of how if I go and they don't expect them to change in time. So. Okay. My follow-up question will be, do you think your unpopular opinion will be a little bit unpopular or very unpopular or actually maybe popular? What is your prediction? Uh, I would say a little bit unpopular. Okay. So you say you're not going to necessarily make it to the rank of the most unpopular ever opinion. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe genetics will be fixed with the help of Copilot in the next release. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. I have to say the last couple of episodes were had unpopular opinions on the field of generics. What a surprise. <laughs> well, that was an interesting conversation for sure. If anybody who has listened to this episode and wants to try Copilot but is not there yet, so you can apply on the GitHub website, probably Googling Copilot GitHub would be the best way to join the waitlist. And... Yeah, that would be wrapping it up for today. So thank you all for joining us and join our outro tune. All right, that is our show for this week. Thanks for listening. What is your take on GitHub Copilot? We'd love to hear from you. Let us know in the comments. Yes, you can discuss each and every episode of GoTime on changelog.com. Simply open your show notes, click the Discuss on Changelog News link, and let your voice be heard. And if this is your first time with us, don't forget to subscribe at gotime.fm or in your favorite podcast app. We're in there. GoTime is produced by Jared Santo with Breakmaster Cylinder on Beats. We are brought to you by Fastly, Linode, and LaunchDarkly. Next week, John Calhoun is back, and he is hosting a panel discussion on database migrations in Go without all the migraines. Stay tuned for that. We'll have it ready for you next time on GoTime.